Great, fantastic. Thank you so much. And now we're going to have our readings from the Bible. Um, the sermon this morning is going to be on Luke chapter 5, but there's a, a couple of, or three, three mini readings from Leviticus as well, which help to give some background to that. And Ruth McElmoyle is all the way over in Northern Ireland visiting her mum for a few weeks, um, but it's fantastic that that doesn't stop her from, uh, and her mum, in fact, from joining us. And um, she has, has uh, recorded the readings, so um, I'm going to put those on there. Good morning. Um, so the readings uh, this morning will be taken from Leviticus uh, chapters 13 and 14. And there are three different readings um, from Leviticus and then a further reading um, from Luke. So the first reading is from Leviticus uh, chapter 13 verses 1 to 8. Leviticus 13, 1 to 8. This is an errand. When anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on their skin, that may be a defiling skin disease, they must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons who is a priest. The priest is to examine the sore on the skin and if the hair in the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be more than skin deep, it is a defiling skin disease. When the priest examines that person, he shall pronounce them ceremonially unclean. If the shiny spot on the skin is white but does not appear to be more than skin deep, and the hair in it has not turned white. The priest is to isolate the affected person for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest is to examine them, and if he sees that the sore is unchanged and has not spread to the skin, he is to isolate them for another seven days. On the seventh day, the priest is to examine them again, and if the sore has faded and has not spread in the skin, the priest shall pronounce them clean. It is only a rash. They must wash their clothes and they will be clean. But if the rash does spread in their skin after they have shown themselves to the priest to be pronounced clean, they must appear before the priest again. The priest is to examine that person and if the rash has spread in the skin, he shall pronounce them unclean. It is a defiling skin disease. And then down to Leviticus 13 uh, verse 45 to 46. Anyone with a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Leviticus 14, um, starting again at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, these are the regulations for any diseased person at the time of their ceremonial cleansing when they are brought to the priest. The priest is to go outside the camp and examine them. If they have been healed of their defiling skin disease, the priest shall order that two live clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn and hyssop be brought for the person to be cleansed. Then the priest shall order that one of the birds be killed over fresh water in a clay pot. He is then to take the live bird and dip it together with the, the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn and the hyssop into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Seven times he shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the defiling disease and then pronounce them clean. After that, he is to release the live bird in the open field. And the New Testament reading is from Luke chapter 5, 12 to 16. Luke 5, 12 to 16. 
Jesus heals a man with leprosy. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his fist and begged him, You are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about, about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This is the word of the Lord. Fantastic. So we are going to look at Luke chapter 5. Now you might have been a little bit perturbed by all that stuff from Leviticus, but um, if you've been following our Old Testament in a year, that is what we've been um, uh, doing as well. We've been looking at Leviticus and I think we will be coming to chapters 13 and 14 this week on Thursday. And um, the uh, uh, the but we, we then perhaps it started to make a bit more sense because we then started to look at Luke and um, we started to uh, we heard the story of the leper being um, healed and so that's what we're going to look at this morning it has some resonance with our current situation which is partly why we thought it'd be good to look at so let me pray now and um, I'm just getting this ready and then we'll pray for God's help as we look so Father, thank you so much for this time to look at your word and we pray that you'd help us now to understand these things um, and get to know you better. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 5 verse 12, you need to have that in front of you if possible. Um, either you can find it by googling Luke chapter 5 or in a Bible if you've got one. It's just a few weeks since I first heard the term social distancing. And that will probably be the case for uh, most of us. But now it's daily reality, isn't it? Um, how have you been getting on with staying uh, two metres away from anyone outside your household? With fewer cars on the road, I found myself walking down the middle of the road sometimes because, to avoid the pavements uh, on my daily allotted exercise session. But one question people have been asking is whether social distancing... Or social distancing is really the right term for this. Is it social distancing we're doing or is it more accurately physical distancing or spatial distancing? The point people are making is that you can still be social when you are physically distanced. And it's true, I've had conversations with people who've come to the end of the path outside our house. I've had many more conversations with people via video calls or the phone or text message. And I expect many of us are exactly the same, uh, with the exception of the heroic key workers amongst us who are still seeing people face to face. But calling it physical distancing um, and, and putting emphasis on the physical, physical distancing reminds us that we don't need to lose social connection with one another, even if we are physically isolated. In fact, we must not lose physical connection with one another, particularly those who are living alone or are older or vulnerable. But is that all there is to it? Can we just swap real physical interaction with one another with a virtual form, huddled in our homes, on our phones, safe from infection? People are already predicting that this period is going to have a profound effect on how we interact with one another in the future. And even when the threat of 
infection and overwhelming the NHS is past. This is going to influence how we do school and university and how we do medical care and consultations, how we have meetings with one another. Maybe it's just um, speeding up the adoption of technology that was inevitable, but it's just forced us to do it more quickly. Well, what about church then? Is doing this, what we're doing now online, um, is it the same or is it even better than gathering together physically on Sundays? You know, it's so convenient. You can come in your pyjamas. You can sort of eat or do whatever you want to do. You can join in from across the world. Well, in this reading that we heard from Luke chapter 5, we heard a man who was both physically and socially distanced from those around him. Now, we don't know exactly what leprosy was. It almost certainly wasn't exactly the same as the disease we know today as leprosy, where parts of your body fall off and, and horrible things like that. But it probably referred to a variety of contagious skin diseases. And Leviticus was the equivalent for Israel of Public Health England, laying down the law on who must self-isolate. So that's what we heard in Leviticus 13 and 14. The law was never a, a, a just random do's and don'ts, which is often when we come to, the, to these parts of the Old Testament, we kind of just think, oh, what on earth's going on here? No, this is about regulating community life as much as anything else. But the effect was to leave some people isolated on the edge of things. Now, there have been times when I've gone for a walk this week and I thought it would be quite helpful to have a bell, like the lepers were told to do at the end of Leviticus 13, to have a bell to get people to move out of the way. And someone said they'd started walking everywhere holding a tissue to their mouth, which seems to be extremely effective in getting other people to give you a wide berth. But for a leper, this was reality. It seems that um, the, 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 the form, the, 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 these were forms of leprosy that put the sufferer in permanent isolation, never to recover. The law, as we heard, expected recovery. We heard a bit about what they were supposed to do when they recovered. They had to go to the priest and do various things to get um, brought back into the community. But clearly this was a rare event. There are only two healings from leprosy recorded in the Old Testament. And the fact that they're recorded at all shows how remarkable it was. So here is a man condemned to a lifetime of isolation. And in these verses, just these few verses we read from Luke's eyewitness account of Jesus's life, Luke's gospel, chapter five, we see Jesus interacting with the isolated. We see him interacting with this leper and we see Jesus reaches the isolated. Jesus restores the isolated. And then finally, Jesus chooses to be isolated. We're going to see each of those three things. First of all, Jesus reaches the isolated, verses 12 and 13. Just imagine the scene. It's not hard to imagine how people might have reacted if they saw a leper coming near to them. Lepers were meant to live outside the towns, in the wilderness, away from human contact. But this guy has come into town. And you can imagine the tutting and the shrinking away from this obviously unclean man. Doesn't he realise how contagious he is? Putting everyone at risk like this, it's so selfish. But in his isolation... He has heard of this man, Jesus, who seems to have the power and the authority to heal. And more than that, um, this man, Jesus, is mixing not with the great and the good and the religious leaders, but with humble fishermen. And he, too, in chapter four, 
has been reje- has been rejected, like the leper was a bit back in chapter four. Jesus is rejected in his hometown, so he's he's starting to think if anyone can help, Jesus can help. So he's on the floor, he's humbling himself still further. If you're willing, Lord, you can make me clean. And what Jesus does next would have been utterly extraordinary to any onlooker, because what should he have done? You know, it should have been well. I'm sorry, but for my own health and safety, I need to take uh, six steps back. So I'm two metres away from you. And then by all means, we can have a chat. But instead of retreating from this contagious man, what does he do? He moves towards him. He reaches out his hand and then shock horror. What does he do? He touches him, which is a sure way of, of contracting the disease. But instead of Jesus becoming ill and therefore ceremonially unclean, what happens? He says, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Luke is writing this account to show us Jesus so that we might come to him for ourselves. What's he saying then about Jesus? He's saying Jesus reaches the isolated. He reaches out and he touches and he heals. So here we are and we're needing to shield ourselves from one another and retreat. And for good reason, because we're human. We're not Jesus, who was both man and God. But frail humans like us can do nothing else but retreat in the face of serious contagious illness. But we need to know, as we do that even, Jesus reaches out towards us. And when he does that, we don't infect him. He infects us with his restoring life and of course this isolation that the leper experiences is not is a picture not simply of our self-isolation in 2020 as we worry about online delivery slots and not seeing another human being for a few weeks but actually it's a picture of our isolation from God and from one another due to our sin this is what sin does to us it, 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 turning our backs on our creator isolates us from him and from one another as well. Martin Luther called sin humanity turned inward on itself. It's a, it's a very serious form of self-isolation. And this self-isolation in March 2020 is a picture of where humanity has been heading increasingly fast as we become increasingly focused on ourselves or me and my rights and my self-expression and who cares about anyone else. And it's striking when you think of how many of us have given ourselves dermatitis on our hands because of the regularity of our hand washing and the scrupulous attention that we now give to hygiene. We recognise the deadly threat posed by a virus, but we so easily don't pay the same attention to the deadly threat posed by sin, which has not just mortal, but eternal consequences. Spiritually speaking, we're all naturally isolated from God and increasingly from one another. Here is good news. Jesus reaches the isolated. And in this crisis, as always, he's moving not away from us, but towards us, to the one who will humble themselves and cry out to him for help. He will reach out to restore. And that's what we see next. So Jesus reaches the isolated. Then from verse 14, Jesus restores the isolated. 
He restores the isolated. Don't tell anyone, says Jesus. In the next verse, it becomes clear why that's necessary, because news spreads and crowds follow him everywhere. But back at the end of chapter four, he made it clear his ministry wasn't just about healing, but about preaching the good news of God's kingdom. And his healings were just a sign of that. He's not just a miracle worker. He wants his miracles to point to the fact that with him coming into the world, a new reality is here. That's the testimony that he wants the healed leper to take to the priest, not just to show that Jesus is coming in fulfilment of Old Testament law, which we heard in the first readings from Leviticus, but more than that to say, look at this man healed. This hardly ever happens. What kind of person can do this? Someone like Elisha is here. Elisha healed Naaman the Syrian of leprosy in 2 Kings chapter 5. Sit up, pay attention. Something new is happening. That's what this miracle is saying. He's doing the kind of thing Isaiah talked about when he spoke of the Messiah restoring the lame and the blind and the deaf to God's people, of being of, of good news being preached to the poor. He's bringing those who once were isolated back into fellowship in a new community that centres on him and his work. That's the challenge to the religious leaders that will become ever more of an issue through Luke's gospel. Can they accept that God's kingdom has come and it centres not on them, but on Jesus and his work? As Jesus reaches out to the isolated, his goal is to restore them to community. That is what God has made us for. That's what we'll be doing for eternity. That's why as we consider the effects of our current situation on us as a church, we can't ever be completely satisfied with remaining physically distanced from one another as we are now. Part of what Jesus did as he restored this leper was he touched him. He didn't need to touch him. He could have just spoken to heal him. He's God on earth. A word would do. But he touched him. And one of the problems with being physically, if not strictly socially isolated, is we easily lose sight of what it means to be embodied creatures. See, the fact is human beings aren't merely brains on sticks. We can't truly swap real physical spatial interaction with a life lived in front of a computer screen. God has made us for community. So that should always be our desire and our goal while we're in this strange period. We should be like the people of Israel in exile, singing the Lord's songs in a foreign land, a strange land, as the Psalms put it. Kind of, we, we, we carry on doing this, but we know it's not how things are supposed to be. We long to be together. And perhaps this period, if nothing else, will teach us new things about the value of physically gathering together as God's people. We won't take it for granted, but as the church, we're meant to be physically gathering as an expression of what God's people will physically be doing for eternity, as a family of the strong and the weak, a family of the rich and the poor, a family of the young and the old, a family of many nations. And this ought to be a challenge, a testimony to a suspicious world as Jesus intended this um, healing of the leper to be. Go and tell them as a testimony to them, he says. One of the striking things about our present circumstances is a sudden switch in our society to put the spotlight on the frail and the vulnerable. Have you noticed that? To ensure that they are not forgotten and their needs are met. And it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? That kind of as a society, as a whole, we are saying that we should be grateful for that. We should support that. But isn't it striking to think that this is the same 
culture and the same society where increasing numbers of people are in favour of assisted dying, which inevitably is going to put pressure on the vulnerable to sacrifice their needs for the good of society. And how long will it be, if this carries on for weeks and weeks and weeks, how long will it be till voices come forward suggesting that perhaps after all, is it really worth this sacrifice to ensure the vulnerable get proper medical care when you know many of them will probably die anyway people might say well i hope that that doesn't come has doesn't happen and that we don't get to to hear people saying that sort of thing but jesus has a different vision for the isolated and the vulnerable that involves restoring and including them through simply trusting in him like this leper does to bring about a community of unity in diversity centred on him. So let's make sure that that remains our vision through this crisis and beyond. And then finally, there is a surprise in verses 15 and 16, because having reached the isolated and restored the isolated, now Jesus chooses to be isolated. Verses 15 and 16. So look at that. Do you see what happens? Because of the news spreading far and wide, Jesus withdraws and prays. And this is often used as an example of what a praying life should look like. And there's a lot to be learned from Jesus's example of stopping and praying and withdrawing from the kind of hustle and bustle of everyday life. And he sometimes does that for long periods of time. And maybe that is a further thing that Christians are being forced into by these circumstances to use our isolation, if that is our situation, to come back to basics and come before God in prayer. But that isn't all that's going on here. The gospel writers craft their narratives very skillfully, and a lot is said simply through how they structure what they say. So look at the overall movement of this story. We start with an outsider, a leper, coming from the wilderness to seek Jesus, and he is then healed and restored to the community. But we then end with Jesus himself on the outside, in isolation. Jesus has swapped places with the leper. Do you see? His mission that he must fulfil involves choosing and seeking self-isolation as he swaps places with the leper. That is a picture of what Jesus came to do. So how can a God of love allow pandemics, we ask, in a time like this? And of course, this is by no means the first time human beings have asked tough questions like that. We're nowhere near the level of suffering, nowhere near at all the suffering experienced by many in the 20th century conflicts. And and this question has actually been asked throughout history. And indeed, since centuries before Jesus came in the book of Job in the Old Testament. And the answer consistently that God gives to that question is not a rationalistic explanation to suit philosophers on their own terms. No, he gives us a person. He gives us himself as his son coming into the world. And he identifies with the leper in his isolation. He identifies with the grieving at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He identifies with those who suffer unjustly as he goes to the cross. And finally, he identifies with us in our deaths. He chooses the ultimate self-isolation as he goes to the cross where he will cry out, where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, abandoned me? He's completely isolated and he does that 
for us. And in, in, and in doing those things, he shows us he's not aloof. God is saying to us, I'm not aloof to human suffering and frailty. I'm not sort of far off in the sky, unaware of what's going on down there. He's come and he's got involved. And he's done that in order to end suffering. So he identifies with the leper, but he also cleanses him. He grieves with Martha and Mary, but then he raises Lazarus. He dies on the cross himself and experiences self-isolation, but he does that in our place. And then he rises on the third day. And now as we wait for Jesus to return, as we wait for him to bring the perfect restored community centred on him in the new heavens and the new earth, we know even in our isolation, the isolation of physical and social distancing, or even more seriously, the isolation caused by our sin, we know he is with us. And as he withdraws in isolation to pray, we know that even here, in what feels like the darkest time, the hardest moments of our lives, he is with us. And he's praying with us and for us. There is real hope for the isolated, for ourselves and for our world. There was a, a therapist quoted in one of the papers yesterday saying there's a general sense that there's no one in charge that we know is going to sort the coronavirus problem. There's no saviour. What a bleak thing to say and believe. But it's not true, is it? And we need to tell the world that. Whether we're working in a hospital or working at home with children, trying to do homeschool or trying to figure out how to work at home at all, whether we're rubbing up against family or we're feeling the isolation of living completely alone, we need to know there is real hope for the isolated and we need to share that with others. So let's pray now. Father, we praise you for Jesus who in our isolation, our ultimate isolation caused by our sin, as we've turned in on ourselves, he reaches out to us. He longs to restore us. And he chooses to be isolated for us. Thank you that he went to the cross to bring about the possibility of a new community centred on him. We come to him afresh today and trust in him and ask that you would help us then to take this good news to the world. I pray for anybody listening who's hearing these things for the first time, pondering what they mean. Pray that you'd help Just them to. The um, I pray that you'd help them to uh, know that Jesus is able to bring life, and pray that you would help them to put their trust in Him now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I will be praying for our world, our mission partners, the Millers in South Africa, and finally our community here in Hampstead. I open our prayers with Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He 
will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over you coming and going, both now and forevermore. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, loving God, we come before you on this Sunday, lifting up to you our needs and prayers, knowing that your will will be done here on earth. We lift up to you our broken world, where we have not been responsible stewards of your creation here on earth. We pray for the continuing coronavirus pandemic affecting the whole world. We pray for the frontline workers and researchers seeking a vaccine and treating all those affected by this physically and mentally. We pray for those who are suffering both from the coronavirus and the impact of it, and those who have been affected by a loved one who has died from this horrid disease. We lift up to you all our world leaders for their wisdom, guidance, discernment, and understanding that they may make godly decisions for their peoples and ultimately seek your guidance as they face this issue and many repercussions that are resulting from this in each of their countries. We now pray for our mission partners. We thank you for the financial blessings that you provide St. John's in order to support our mission partners and the work that they do for your kingdom. We especially remember the work of the Johannesburg Bible College in South Africa and the Millers as we support John and Jenny's ministry there. As the term at JBC was sadly cut short by a week due to the coronavirus, we pray for guidance as they prepare to record classes for next term and send them out in a variety of formats. Although many students don't have reliable internet, which makes ongoing teaching harder. We lift up to you, John, as he continues to study one of the many languages of South Africa and for learning Isi Zulu, reading and praying as teaching commitments are reduced. We pray for their church as it has been closed and for John as he circulates a children's talk each week. We lift up to you, Jenny, and the work she is doing homeschooling the children and managing the household during these trying times. We also pray for the millions in South Africa who struggle to feed their families each and every day and by not being able to work has been a proving challenge for many. We thank you for the Lord's reign and unchanging grace and faithfulness to their ministry in South Africa and at JBC. For the technology, um, which means that they can stream services and keep in touch with friends and families via WhatsApp and other modes of communication. And for God's provision of food, home, health, and many blessings that others don't have there in South Africa. And we pray for their growing, for growing Christ-likeness as they spend lots of time together at home, for their diligence without distraction as John and Jenny work, and for the difficult times that many would turn to Christ and be saved. Finally, we similarly pray for our community here at St. John's and your work in this area. May our prayer for our mission partners down south resonate here in Hampstead as well. May the gospel continue to be delivered through the use of new technologies as we have adapted in streaming our two services, and that through Tom and the ministry team, your word continues to speak to all who hear. May your words read today speak to each and every one of us. Grant Tom the words of wisdom as he preaches. 
May your Holy Spirit work through him in understanding your word, explaining it to us clearly and applying it to our daily lives. And open our ears that we may hear and open our hearts that we may accept your word this morning. We pray for our outreach programs and the new mediums we have to adopt in order to reach out to the community. May we adapt to this ever-changing situation in the world, confident that you are an unchanging God and Father. And most importantly, that we may be we may exemplify this to all who we speak to and help. We also pray for the various children and youth clubs that are happening via Zoom. May the midweek meetings truly allow the children to discover your true character and deepen their relationships with you and each other. And we pray for our midweek Bible studies and the Old Testament and two-year cycle as we read it as a church. May our relationships, although virtual with each other, and allow us to grow through reading your word together. We lift these events up to you that the activities within our church family continue to plant the seeds of gospel for all those in attendance. And may you fill our hearts with encouragement and confidence in you, and most importantly, lead us in your ways, O oh Lord. We pray for the leaders of our church and the trustees here at St. John's, Tom, David, Corinne, Moses, Carey, and all those taking on leadership roles for the many ministries. Help them to continue to seek your will in the decisions that need to be made for this church, for your kingdom and the ministries at St. John's. And most importantly, continue to nourish them with your word, refreshing and renewing their spirits, O Lord. Finally, we lift up to you all prayers, said and unsaid, that they may be heard by you, and that your will will be done in our lives. We end with the collect for today. Most merciful God, who by the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, delivered and saved the world, grant that by faith in him who suffered on the cross, we may triumph in the power of his victory. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.